come with me. We're going on a fantastic cruise. Pick your destination with news tips and reviews. But here is an item you might not have thought of. All of the things under the water. Nature surrounds us with elegant features. You can't go on a cruise and not see the creatures. So let's make some magic. Let's get ecstatic. Instantly classic. Maybe romantic. The wildlife around you. Cinematic on your fantastic cruise. Bon Beanie, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Fantastic Cruising. I am Matt. And I'm Kimbra. And today we are here to talk with a good friend of ours. But before we get to that, I got to address something. We got a complaint. Yeah, we did. Yeah. From a cow named Bessie. I was so confused when it came in. So here's what it says. It says, to whom it may concern. After hearing this morning's episode of Fantastic Cruising, I was a mad cow. Your brand of humor was missing today like the side of my carton. I found that your milking of humor to be stereotyping and cowless. Cowless? Really, Bessie? <laughs> <laughs> what happened to the days when we could w- talk about cruise creatures while grazing in the pasture? Instead, you chose to perpetuate stereotypes and go for low-hanging fruit. More like low-hanging seagrass, because we were talking sea cows, right? Yeah. As some constructive feedback, perhaps you could ring the cowbell on creatures that have already gone extinct, such as the buble heart beast. I don't know what that is. Do you know what that is? I'm guessing some sort of I've never heard of that. Creature. The bashi, which is a dolphin thing. Uh, The Hawaiian crow, which is a crow thing, I think. Crow in Hawaii. The West African black rhino. Now, that's very sad, too. The Laysan Rail. Is that like a railway company that went under? I don't know. No, rails are those birds. I think those are birds. Oh, that they? sounds right. Yeah. The uh, the the Heath Hen. The Heath Hen. Heath Hen. The Golden Toad. I'm very familiar with the Golden Toad. Very sad. The Spix Macaw. The beautiful Tasmanian tiger, yes, and the dodo board. He said bird. I'm just saying board. Dodo board. I think that's what we need right now is a dodo board. (laughs) Until then, I will remain a loyal listener until the next cattle call and will remain utterly hopeful. Bessie. P.S. Please ignore any spelling errors as I just had my hooves manicured. All right. We all know who Bessie is here. So, uh, but... But look, here's my challenge to you, Bessie. I want more emails. Complaints. I don't believe that. Now that we've heard that cattle call, oh, we can move on. How long did it take you to come up with those? I just that's just on the fly, on the fly, like a fly on the butt of a cow. Anyway, uh, we got another email from our friend Andrew, who has not emailed us for a while, but uh, he has made up for it with this email. And I'm not going to read all of it because some of it pertains to an episode we haven't made yet. I don't know how Andrew did that. Did he like, do you have a TARDIS, Andrew? He went, he went forward in time, heard the episode, came back to tell us about it. No, Maybe he can just see the future. I think he can. I think he can. No, he's, he's just, he knows that we're going to make that episode. So he was giving us some uh, material for it, for the Eastern Caribbean, which uh, we will be doing at some point. And thank you for that. But for now, he has some sad news. Their cruise was canceled. Mallory and Andrew, their cruise was officially canceled. But they're going to get $600 of credit, which they can put towards scuba diving. So that's not a total loss. But it sucks, right? 
I don't know. We should do a poll. How many people have had a cruise canceled from uh, coronavirus on the Fantastic Cruising? It'd probably be quite a few. I bet it would be. Sad. I don't know. Do we even want to bring that up? We'll think about it. Anyway, um, he has some commentary on some of our past episodes as well. One on on why people don't cruise episode. And he said that he was somewhat in the camp at one time for two reasons. First is that he, I, well, I'm just going to kind of summarize. So I, I, Andrew has traveled extensively and he would travel in Asia and he would see these sort of tour, touristy tours, touristy tours. And, uh, they, you know, people on a tour bus and they're following somebody with a flag and it's like, they're getting herded along. There, see, there's another cow huh. reference. And uh, and he was just like, no, that's not for me. I want to be able to explore and, you know, kind of have some freedom. And so he was a little hesitant about cruising because he thought maybe that's what cruising was like. But he was delighted to find out when he did cruise that that is not necessarily what cruising is like at all. You can definitely make your own way around and do some exploring and stuff. So... Uh, I, I had some of those similar res- reservations uh, when I was thinking about cruising. I was like, uh, how tour is this just super touristy? And look, you can have that super touristy experience if that's what you're looking for, but you can definitely kind of avoid it as well. Did you ever think that about cruising in that way? Were you concerned about that at all? Or were you just like, eh, I'm going to the Caribbean, who cares? I don't think so. I had, I don't know. My my biggest thing with cruising was I thought it was just going to cost a lot more money and there were going to be fees everywhere. I think that's the biggest thing that like shocked me. Yeah, I had that same misunderstanding. I thought cruising was for the rich and um yeah, it turns out that was really really wrong. <laughs> so, and I'm glad that it was. The second reason he had is is because Andrew and I we have a lot in common. He is not a person that wants to just sit around a pool or beach and get bored and sunburned. <laughs> so um, he said the image in, in his head of the ship with no activities where all you could do is hang by the pool or gamble in the casino. It just, just wasn't for him. Um, his first cruise as an adult, not counting his Disney cruise at 12, they actually ended up with a seven day itinerary of five ports with one sea day. And he says, what I found from that cruise was that there is a ton of other activities to do on sea days in addition, there is something about not having internet and just having a nice view with food and drink, which makes me relax. It's more interesting than a transcontinental flight, which I oddly enjoy for kind of the same reason. So, yeah, I mean, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Cruising forces me to get into that situation. And it is a situation that I would not normally voluntarily put myself in. But when I find myself there, I do appreciate it. And... Uh, although we do tend to get the internet package these days on cruises, I don't use it like I do in my normal life. Like, I'm not on it constantly. And so I feel like the people I'm with on that cruise, like, I'm more really with them. I'm more connected and stuff. So, I don't know. What do you, What is your take on that? Yeah, I agree. I mean, our last cruise was the first one I ever got internet package on. And... I didn't really need it. Like, I checked it once in a while when we were in the room before bed. But other than that, I I like that I can just disconnect. Yeah. Yep. And then he um, he also wanted to comment on, we were talking about, I think, how safe cruising was and uh, comparing it to other modes of transportation. 
And he says, on the subject of transportation mode safety, since I brought it up a couple times and when we brought it up a couple times, like with most statistics, there is a bit of room for exactly what your data source um, is. I, th I think I'm reading that wrong. Yeah, you can you can kind of interpret things differently depending on how you look at it, I think is what he's saying there. For example, scheduled aviation is generally considered the safest by passenger mile, but not by the number of journeys where bus and trains are safer. Interesting. Interesting. Hmm. Uh, of course, you're flying much faster and generally much less often on a plane, so the risk is minuscule compared to driving every day. Right. Which is really the thing to focus on, I think. Right. Is like, that's way more risky than, than these other behaviors. But I, that, that is uh, an interesting point. I, I need to delve more into that, actually, because it's kind of intriguing. But he says he loves to fly so much, he has a private pilot license. Did you know Andrew had a uh, pilot license? Not until I read this email. I feel like maybe he's mentioned that to us has when we he? were hanging out. I don't know. I don't know. It's one of those things like, because I read the email like a couple days ago, am I just remembering that? Or I don't know. But that's pretty cool. He says that um, through my training and continued research, I can assure you that there are so many safeguards in every plane, the crew and the airspace control system. It's truly remarkable the level of safety that has been achieved in an environment with so many variables. I always find the phrase, have a safe flight, a little annoying. Why not have a safe drive to the airport when the risk of driving is greater? That's a great point. I never thought about that. That's a great point. I, I never thought about, like how people that fly in airplanes feel about those statistics and stuff. But that, yes, at the end of the day, like shark attacks, the risks of driving or flying are so low, it's not worth worrying about, right? You got to live your life, right? So yeah, great points. Likewise, as you pointed out, the same is true with cruising. I had to look into the statistics a little since I figured it was low, but from what I found, it seems cruising is exceeding safe and even around or better than aviation when you consider solely fatalities due to operations for the last 10 years. Right. Super, super safe, especially if you use common sense on a cruise. Like yeah. when passengers die on cruises, excluding things like health things that would have happened if they weren't on the cruise, then it's usually because they were doing something stupid. Not every time there are exceptions, but usually. <laughs> so don't be stupid. I think is the rule here. Uh, then he says, you did get the Atlantic spotted dolphin to be the cruise creature for episode 42 as labeled on iTunes. Did we look into that? We looked at that, right? Um, Here's the thing. iTunes is iTunes. And I don't know if some of the other podcasts have maybe different numbers than the actual episodes. Cause we had one episode where I put the wrong audio in and it got messed up. But, but 42 really should be a dolphin episode. If you're a Douglas Adams fan, which I am. A huge Douglas Adams fan, as you will find the number 42 embedded in many of my social media names and stuff. So anyway, uh, let's see what else we have here. Dun, 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 dun. For when people listen to the... And then he um, he mentioned when he, when he listens to the podcast on his commute, uh, which is interesting. Yeah, if you guys want to send us an email when you listen to the podcast... Uh, fantasticcruising at gmail.com. That is interesting for us, and it helps us, I guess, somehow in planning <laughs> the podcast. But it is, it is a, yeah, I mean, it's definitely an interesting statistic for the podcaster, right? 
Um, he also acknowledged that um, I have successfully, although not intentionally, turned Kimber to the dark side by making her an apple person. And half of our audience cheers and the other half boos. <laughs> I'm still loyal to Android. It's just not as easy to communicate between devices. So I no longer have an Android and I- and. Android device. An Android, Android device? An, an Android device. That would be an iPhone, I believe, is what he's telling us. <laughs> Look, I, you know, I don't have anything against Android. I'm not I'm not one of those people that's like all one or all the other. I am an iOS person because uh, it works really well for me. And quite frankly, the iPad Pro with its drawing apps, Android just can't compete. So until that happens, I'm just going to be an iOS person. But uh, but yes, yeah, so so whatever you like out there is fine with us. But uh, yes, Mallory was he said he converted Mallory um, after he got an iPad for flight map. So back to the to the uh, flying thing again. Hmm. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. And then he says, I keep on forgetting to mention this for French onion soup, which we haven't made yet. Jennifer DeHart, I'm sorry. We haven't made it yet, but we need to because it sounds really good right now. If you don't want to go through the whole proper preparation but want something better than a can, they make a powdered version that comes in a bag that's pretty good, especially if you add extra seasoning stuff you like. I think we usually get it at Aldi, which we have Aldi's down here. Do we? Yeah, we do. Uh, But I'm sure you can get other places. We probably get it at Publix or whatnot. Yeah. We usually cheat and use croutons for the bread. So, okay. We, we did that, but uh, Jennifer cautioned us too late to get the plain croutons, which we didn't. And it was okay, but I think it would have been better with the plain Did we eat it? Croutons. We did, yeah. Didn't we? I don't even remember. Yeah, we did. Did we, did. we like it? It was good. It wasn't as good as like, <laughs> you know, like legit. Apparently it wasn't French good enough for me to remember. Right. So there you go. There, there you go. So thank you to Andrew and Scott, um, uh, Professor, no, Professor, Be- Professor Bessie, Bessie for the complaint email. Looking forward to more in the future, maybe. All right. So now what's next? What's the meat of this episode, Kimbra? Um, I like some steak, maybe some mac and cheese. Really? Really? No. Okay. That's fine. So we actually have been looking at the possibility of our cruise in October being canceled and preparing It's almost definite at this point and preparing for what we may do instead. So our first thought was to find a place and do an all inclusive. Right. Like cruising on land. Right. But kind no, not, I don't know. Maybe except not cruising and just being, (laughs) (laughs) but it's really confusing. I think we mentioned this last week, right? It was really confusing trying to, to sort all the, the data out. And there's so many other, so many more possibilities for that and it's not always clear as what an all-inclusive includes and what it does not include so we called our friend and expert of travel in brian yeah brian who we have gone scuba diving with and um i've met him a couple times you've met him once obviously we went scuba diving he's one of our patrons he is one of our patrons and um yeah so we interviewed him so that's what's coming up right now hey brian how's it going Great, Matt. Thanks very much for having me on today. Yeah, well, I mean, so I, I probably already, you probably already heard me say this if you're listening to the podcast, but Brian's one of our patrons. But more than that, like, I think one of the cool things that 
we get from this podcast. Like what, what we get out of it is, is to meet people. And sometimes those people are, it's just neat to, to get to know them a little bit, but other times, you know, you really make friends. And I think Brian, you fall into that category where, you know, we, we consider you more than a listener, more than a patron. We, we consider you a friend. So that's kind of an extra cool thing an extra benefit of doing the podcast. So happy to have you on today. And, um, we brought you on here because we wanted to talk about something of interest to us. Obviously, nobody's cruising right now, at least if they are, then tell us how you're doing it because we don't know how you're doing it. But pretty much everything's closed down and, and we don't know when they're going to open up again, right? Like our cruise hasn't officially been canceled, but it's pretty much canceled. We're supposed to go in October. And um, so we're looking at alternatives. So last week we did an episode on how to vacation in Florida, which we're going to try and take advantage of that. But we're looking at other things, too. So one of the first things that crossed our mind was all-inclusives. And uh, we tried to research them ourselves. Yeah, and, it didn't uh, go real well. No, it was really confusing. Um, you know, with cruise lines, there's like only so many cruise lines and only so many ships. And, and you, you kind of, I don't know, I, I feel like there's a comfort level. Like I know that the major cruise lines are legit businesses and stuff, but with all inclusives, it was like, I, I was looking at things and I'm like, is this an all inclusive? Is it not an all inclusive? What does this price include? Was it? So anyway, so we're like, all right, forget it. We, we don't know what we're talking about. Let's talk to a professional. So uh, Brian, you are not just a, a cruise fan, but you're also a travel agent, right? So tell us, tell us a little bit about that real quick first. We're going to get more into that in a little bit, but tell us a little bit about uh, the travel agency you work for and stuff. Okay. Uh, yeah. So about five or six years ago, I was trying to book another group cruise and I always get group cruises together every couple of years. <clears throat> and I started talking to the agency that I booked all my travel from for the last 20 or 30 years. And they asked me if I wanted to do a home agent program that they offer. There was no pyramid scheme, no commitments, no costs out of my pocket. I would just be able to sell all their portfolio of travel and be able to use that to sell to family, friends, and anybody that I meet. So I took them up on that opportunity. The company's name is Cruise Brothers, and they have a cruising-free program. And they have several thousand people around the world that do similar to what I do. So it was able to give me a perspective behind the scenes of how travel is sold. And it really opened my eyes to things such as cruises, resorts, hotels. And I've shied away from the airline industry as a whole, but... Um, being able to couple that in with travel and it really opened up a lot of doors for me and what became a small little part-time job that I wanted to do in retirement ended up becoming a part-time job for the last five or six years now and it's growing exponentially every year ever since. That's awesome. So That's yeah, cool. it's, it's really real, cool. worked out real well for us. Is, is uh, You said it's called Cruise Brothers? Cruise Brothers is the brick and mortar home uh, building. And they've been in business for over 40 years. It's in Rhode Island, and they opened up a, an office in Florida. And they have about 6,000 agents or so, I'm, I'm assuming about that many, around the world, such as myself, that will be able to sell under their blanket of uh, their portfolio, if you will. So 40 years ago, I'm trying to remember, did they did they get their name any, is it like a Blues Brothers take or is it just coincidence? <laughs> I think, yeah, I think it was, it was two brothers that had it and they were originally called something else um, and, and there's different names in their, um, in their business model, um, but that was what they ended up with and that's what their logo is, is the two founding brothers. Very cool. 
it's and it's cool that there's brick and mortar they have brick and mortar locations too i think that you know maybe gives people a little bit more of of a sense of you know oh, this is a real business although there's a lot of great i think online um travel agencies too and stuff like that but that's that's really cool i think that's neat so we're gonna talk more about that in a little bit but let's get into this so if we wanted to do a an all-inclusive um what are some of our options like what are what are some of the things we should think about or consider what what's out there so like you were saying earlier with the cruises where there's your mainstream cruise lines all-inclusives are all over the map as far as what they offer and what they consider all-inclusive and what you're getting for that price. Whether it's air, hotel, uh, alcohol, food, amenities such as motorsports, non-motorized sports, scuba diving, golf. And to try to compare them all is, it's impossible almost. You have <laughs> to kind of really know, okay, what do I want to get out of the resort and where do I want to be? And then also, whether or not you go into an area like Punta Cana or out in Mexico where there, there might be four or five of that same resort and you can hop from one to the other versus a resort that might just be a standalone and you're at that one resort and whatever they have, that's what you're limited to. Okay. Being an all-inclusive, you pay this price and you're there. So a lot of people feel compelled to stay at the resort because if they leave and go out into town or go on to anything, then they have to pay. So right. they feel it's free if they stay there. So then they kind of lock themselves into the resort. So when you're able to bounce from resort to resort, that may incentivize you to go to one that offers three or four hotels on the same island and you can spend a day at each of them. Okay. Yeah, that's, that makes sense to me because I, I, have, a, I have a friend actually at work who told me about going to an all-inclusive in Mexico and um, they just stayed at the hotel the, the entire time. And I'm like, well, why did you go to Mexico? <laughs> like what was the point you yeah, could have stayed here and done that but that's that's interesting i uh, i i wonder what the percentage of people are out there that do that that just stay stay put at a hotel like obviously kimber and i we want to get, get to an all-inclusive but really the the only reason we want the all-inclusive all experience is just because uh we want to have a budgeted vacation in a really cool place where we can spend more time like scuba diving and doing fun things in that area um yeah so it's it's maybe we're coming at it from a different perspective from from some people i don't know yeah so you're a little more along the lines that i am of okay i want to land and then i want to be in the water a few hours later diving yep <laughs> i want my two dives a day minimum up until the day before i leave <laughs> and i want to do different dive spots around the island so for me an all-inclusive with diving but the ability to dive different spots of the island and not just the dock or the pier area yeah, that's yeah. okay in something like Curso or uh, a Bonaire, but other islands where you really want to get out and see different portions, it's important to be able to go that way. Yeah, even if it's really cool, like I could spend a lot of time at Chonkanab, but if I was spending a week at Chonkanab or in Mex in Cozumel, like I would, I wouldn't want to have to spend that. Like, there's so much other things. There's so many other things to see, and even though I'd be happy with that week, just in Chonkanab, like. I would feel like I was missing out because that opportunity is right there. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the same way. I would want to see all the different, see all the different sites and, and uh, the different reefs and options, that sort of thing. I know there are uh, dive packages that you can get at some of these places and I, I like specific dive um, resorts that I've, I've started looking, but, but they seem like they're 
kind of really pricey compared to um, cruising. And, and all inclusives in general, from what I could tell, which may not be 100% accurate because it was really confusing, they seem to be a lot more expensive. Do you, do you think that's pretty accurate or was uh, I just looking in the wrong spot? <laughs> no, guys, that's very accurate. In my you know five years of research in this, it's very accurate. A lot of times when I give people the perspective of here, here's the cost of an all-inclusive and what you're going to get, they're typically cruisers looking to do a resort as something different. And I would say 95 out of 100 of them will then turn around and book the cruise again. <laughs> and, and that's that's probably even uh, undervaluing it. It's probably even a higher percentage than that. But the people who like resorts, they know they like resorts. They know which resorts they like. Usually we'll go back to the same resort over and over again or a sister property on a different island in, in our brand loyal, if you will. Gotcha. That So it sounds like these are two very different people generally then that are that are seeking two different experiences uh, because I think even people that are not as adventurous as we are that cruise, I think most of them are still partly in it for the ship experience and partly in it for the, just being able to experience all these different destinations. Whereas maybe an all inclusive person in general is somebody who's just looking for the actual kind of stereotypical relaxation by the pool or on a beach with, with a few cocktails kind of experience. Uh, which is great, but that's not the motivation for my vacation. So that does that does that seem like that's what you usually find? Those people that want that, they just go to the cruising. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the people that choose the resorts that I've worked with over the years, a lot of families with older kids, but they they want to go to a specific island for uh, that all inclusive relaxation, sitting on the beach, and just have one set price and not worry about paying for this and that. But like we were talking about earlier, they don't get to leave the destination or then they have to pay when they do leave. Some of the resorts will organize trips uh, you know, to Duns River Falls in Jamaica or something. You might have to pay $20 or $30 and they're willing to do that. But for, for the most part, the people that I put into resorts, they want to just stay at the resort, sit at the beach, uh, whether it's golfing or scuba diving. Those are the two big things people usually go away for at most of the resorts and, and just have that all in one package. Uh, some of the people I've talked to also see that cruises, they don't want to be rushed to go back to the ship. And the, the timeless discussion of, you know, why don't cruise ships stay in port longer? Yes. And why don't they spend the night, you know, unless you're doing Bermuda or some of the European ports, it's not going to work out that way. So they like to be able to stay in port into the night. That makes sense. I And I know like, um, Kimbra, your, your sister um your stepsister and and her husband they went to an all-inclusive in jamaica it reminded me when you said Dun river falls and they liked they loved the experience they they got a pretty good price because it was a new resort um but they were like they did what they say two or three excursions yeah, i think they said they did and, three three days of excursions and yeah. they were like and that was enough and i'm like oh that wouldn't yeah. have been enough it's for like, me. <laughs> I would have done. I would have wanted to do something every day. Right, because I like I I wouldn't want to spend all the money on the all the amenities of the resort. Because I mean that I mean that's one of the things that cruising does for me is it it makes me sort of spend that downtime where if if I didn't have to I wouldn't like I would have to be like tied down to a chair with a cocktail or I'd be like no there's fish over there there's lizards back there I'm not gonna sit here but. Uh, but yeah, so so I, I can see that different perspective. I wonder though, we should get 
we should get them to go on a cruise once cruising opens back up because I think I could, I think definitely I could turn them into cruises. Oh, I'm sure. Absolutely. I mean, they <laughs> like to have fun, but I, I was thinking like, like the little bit that we looked at, like that one particular one that I saw was like, you know, this all inclusive includes, you know, the snorkeling gear and some kayaks and water play stuff, but like, we don't need all of that stuff. Like we right. have our own snorkeling gear and we weren't interested in like the yoga on the beach. And I mean, I would do yoga on the beach, but like, that's not what we're interested in. Like we don't need that extra stuff. Yeah. So you were saying some all, all inclusive is not mean the same thing across the board. So that's, I think what, what Kimbra saw is this place was like $75 a day additional, but that was, wasn't getting you like food and alcohol. That was getting you like, yeah, access like, to a kayak like and a snorkel gear need. or something. I'm like, yeah. yeah. I'm bring in my own snorkel gear. But um, yeah, but the, I don't, and that wasn't one of the big ones. So you mentioned some of those big names earlier when we were talking like Sandals and was it R RIA or something? There's some, some big names are kind of like the equivalent of the cruise industry, I guess. With Yeah. So some of the bigger names would be like beaches, sandals, Ryu, dream secrets, uh, Bureau star club med. Those are some of the more popular ones. And then there's a lot of also boutique ones that do a really well job or ones that fall under the umbrella of uh, different hotel chains. And it, when you trace them back to the parent company, they're all, they fall under the same company, but they, they might have a, a different islandish sounding name. Right. Now, some of those places, I, I may be misassociating these, but are some of those places associated with like timeshare stuff or, um, or is that just a separate thing that sometimes does all inclusive things or? Um, I'm sure that somehow some of them might tie back and offer it as an opportunity but for the most parts, the ones that I've sold people going to, they're not timeshares per se. Yeah. So I don't want anything to do with timeshares. No. <laughs> but yeah, that's so. Yeah, talk, talking to you a little bit before this episode, I honestly I think almost talked us out of all inclusives. Like we're just going to save our money and wait for cruising to start again, um, and maybe focus on like Florida for now, hope, hoping that the cruise lines will get be able to start sailing again and within the year or not maybe not 2020 hopefully but may, hopefully by the end of 2021 at the very least we'll, we'll be able to sail again but uh, but it's interesting I, I'm curious if, if anybody out there has had some all-inclusive experiences and you, you want to share them with us you know what was good what was bad did you did you think you got a lot for your money let us know fantasticcruising at gmail.com we would love to hear your opinions and thoughts on all-inclusive maybe Maybe you can recommend one or maybe not an all-inclusive. Maybe uh, there's just a good package on one of these islands we can just fly to and just stay in a hotel that's super cheap and just eat, you know. McDonald's. Uh, eat McDonald's. I don't want to eat <laughs> McDonald's. But, but eat, uh, you know, barely on a budget. And, and uh, I mean, who needs to eat when you're diving? Well, actually, I need to eat a lot yeah. when I'm diving because I get voracious when I'm diving is, is the reality of it, which uh, – <laughs> And some of them, one of the things you could look into is like a semi-inclusive, which might include something like the hotel breakfast daily and diving or breakfast and $250 voucher to the bar or to your room or something like that. That wouldn't be bad. Um, yeah. And then with the, some of the islands, like when we go to Roatan, we'll use different dive shops on the island. Or I, now I've got one guy that I go to 
and we'll go to different spots on the island through this one provider. And so that's another way to do it. Yeah, which you have a connection in, in, in Roatan that um, eventually I, I'm probably going to try and get on the podcast that um, how's he doing? I know they were having some issues because there's obviously no tourism. Have you have you talked to him recently? And yeah, so hanging in there. Uh, a guy that I've used many times over the years, Shannon Bodden, uh, Shannon Bodden Tours. He, he does, uh, you know, pick you up at the port, take you around the island for the day or his wife will and really tailor the day to you. And so with this whole thing where they shut down all the industry and most of Roatan is now based on the tourist industry, he was saying that they kind of went back and have gone back to their old ways almost on the island as a whole. But he's taken up a couple of different business ventures, such as managing property for Americans that can't get down there uh, to take care of their own property and other uh, just little small businesses, uh, delivery services and so forth. But he's doing well. Uh, I chatted with him uh, on Facebook about a week or two ago, and we did have a GoFundMe for him. Uh, A lot of my clientele over the years and some of his to get a uh, GoFundMe together for him. And awesome. it worked out well. Yeah, it worked Good. out real well. Good. Well, hopefully things will open back up. I know we were looking at some of the different islands and seeing, you know, what, what their policies were. And it's just like here, everything's kind of up in the air. But I know some of them are starting to get to the point where they're they're considering letting um, certain people back in um, under certain conditions or, you know, so fingers crossed in the next few months, things will, things will improve and we'll start to see some positive changes but let's get back to the travel agency part because uh, you're a travel agent and you know, a lot of times people will ask, why should I book through a travel agent? In fact, uh, Kimber, your stepsister uh, and her husband were like, they weren't even sure if the travel agent, like if they paid the travel agent extra money to book, cause they did book through a travel agent. They were like, we don't know how much it costs, but we, it was worth it. Cause you know, it was a great experience. And I'm like, well, it probably didn't cost you a, a dime. So let's, let's talk about that. Uh, for people out there that are listening that are not sure if they should go through a travel agent or not, what are the reasons why people would want to book through a travel agent? So first off, it costs the client nothing to book through an agent. The agent is paid for by the provider of the, of the services, whether it's the cruise line, the resort, uh, the train, the provider of the travel actually pays the, the travel agent. Um, one of the things it also does is it gives you that personal attention. And so you can reach out to an agent much easier than trying to call and get a hold of some random person at the resort or trying to get a hold of somebody at Royal Caribbean or whatever cruise line to, to actually listen to you and your concerns and know you and tailor the trip to you. One of the more important things would be the value. Cruise and travel agents are provided bulk rates in less than advertisable rates in most cases. So group space is what it's often referred to as. And what it does is an agency such as ours is able to block out rooms two years in advance. So we have rooms blocked out at, at a lower than market rate two years ago, and we hold on to them for a certain amount of time, and we're able to sell them as a um, an incentive to be able to book with us. And it's a much lower rate than you would be able to book with at the cruise line. That's one of the biggest things. And then also some of the incentives that might be exclusive to uh, an agency, such as added onboard credits or bottles of wine or strawberries in your room, small things like that. But in some of the cases, when you're dealing with some of the luxury lines, like a Viking or something, um, one of my clients 
they were advertising half price airfare. And when I called in, they said, oh, you work with Cruise Brothers. You actually get full discounted air. So their air is complimentary. So that was a, a large savings. Does that happen all the time? No. But some of those are really big savings. Well, I can tell you this, it, it doesn't happen ever if you don't go through a travel agent, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, yeah. And so you get the people that will say, are travel agents still used? Yeah, there's probably more now than there were many years ago because travel is becoming very complex. Mm -hmm. And everybody thinks that they can book it themselves online and find the greatest deal. And I, I'll tell them, find that deal. I know that you really want that hunt. You want to be able to find the greatest deal and you'll spend hours and hours and hours and hours doing it. And then you come to me and I can say, I can get you that price with that same code. And I'm also able to give you $50 on onboard credit with that. And if you had called in the first place and you just said, this is what I want, I would have been able to give it to you. <laughs> you all would have saved some time. Then there's also the people that do book with the cruise line because they, they do that buy. I see it. It's, I don't want to miss out on that sale that's going to come back next week and they buy it right then, they are able to call an agent such as myself and say, hey, Brian, here's my reservation number. Can you do a takeover of it? So they fill out a form. We transfer the reservation over to us. And usually in those cases, I'll say, I'm going to give you a $50 onboard credit for letting me take care of you. And we just manage the reservation for the final payment. So they're able to book it directly, but we get the credit for it and I get them an extra incentive. Yeah, that's that's really cool, and 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 just as a confession, confession of a uh, person who doesn't hasn't in the past always used a travel agent, um, that is why is because I you know I like that research part of it. I want to look at all the different things and pick my perfect cruise and everything. But uh, but I but yeah, I mean that's definitely an incentive even for somebody like me to then at the very least then say, hey, Brian, you know, this is the cruise. Can you take it over and maybe get some extra perks or just make it easier for dealing with, with stuff, you know, and, and uh, that, that definitely takes the, the load off. And if you're a person that doesn't like to do all that computer work, then like you said, you can just take care of it and probably get the same deal or a better deal than I would have found on my own anyway. And then I, I think the other perk and uh, of booking through a travel agent, especially somebody like Brian, is that, you've been to a lot of these places, you've experienced a lot of these ports, you've done some of these excursions, and you know a lot of people that have done ones that you haven't done. You know, you're active in the cruise community, you see all this stuff. So if, if somebody's going to Roatan or, or, uh, or Curacao or someplace like that, they've never been there, and they're like, I don't know what to do, rather than just relying on maybe trying to look up reviews on Cruise Critic or, or on the cruise line or whatever, they can actually talk to somebody about it and get questions answered and get like a, a real uh, good opinion about, you know, well, this, this may not be right for you. This maybe this is right for you. That kind of thing with a lot more personalization than you would get from just trying to figure it out from somebody ranting about something online, positive or negative. Yeah. And uh, a lot of that, I do know we've been on many cruises over the years, so I'm able to give pinpoints or, Hey, take a look at this, or this is what we did when we go, or, you know, um, my kids, we took them to an Alaska cruise last year. And so we tried to figure out all the different ways of how to improve the cruise for the kids and take them to Alaska. And they ended up loving it. And a lot of people were surprised that kids would actually enjoy an Alaskan cruise, but we, we showed them, Hey, this is like how to make it as a family vacation versus just a, a retiree trip. 
Right. But yeah, I, I have been fortunate to be able to go to a lot of the different countries as well as the different Caribbean islands on cruises. Now, before we let you go, Brian, we can't let you go without talking a little scuba because uh, that, that's our, our main connection, I think, is scuba. In fact, we, we still haven't edited that video, but we actually got to dive with Brian at the Florida Aquarium. We did a shark dive in our coral reef habitat, and it was a lot of fun. And uh, it's just one of the like four videos that have been sitting on our computer waiting to get edited that we keep saying, we need to edit those. And then we make a little progress and then we stop. But, uh, but yeah, we, so first of all, when's the, is that the last dive you did was with us or have you dove since then or? Yeah, no, ever since I moved to North Carolina, it's been tough to get into the water, but that was my last dive. It's, it's hard. I know it's, I mean, I grew up in Missouri, so you know I never got to dive when I, when I lived there until I moved to Florida. And then even then I didn't dive a lot until really till cruising. And then more recently, since Kimber got uh, certified, we actually have been diving a few times. Well, we went on the cruise, we, we dove in Grand Cayman, which was awesome. But we also went to a lake in Florida. We did. Well, lake I forgot Denton. about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a little we, bit for, forgettable, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> we saw turtles. We did. Yeah, we got like attacked by soft shell turtles and uh, <laughs> in a good way. Um, and then last this last week we got to go do a shore dive um in Anna Maria Island which is where your your dad lives down there right Holmes Beach is where we went and we went okay. to a place called Spanish Rocks Reef are you familiar with Spanish Rocks Reef at all no I haven't been able to dive out that way at all but yeah it's we're down in Bradenton area often it's it's hit or miss uh the thing is her her folks had a place down there and we were looking it up on Google to see what we could do so we got to go down there for a, a day or so and uh, I just noticed on the map, it said Spanish Rocks Reef. And I'd, I'd heard that name before, but I didn't know really what it was. So uh, we did a little bit of research. And it's, it's basically, depending on the tide, it's about 100 to 200 yards off the shore and uh, in about 20, 25 foot of water. And it's just a bunch of rocks that are just right off the beach. The visibility is really iffy. Uh, when we were there, we were kind of lucky. It was about six to eight foot visibility. So <laughs> for the... <laughs> For the Gulf Coast of Florida, that's really good visibility on a beach dive. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, we, we dove and uh, we saw a lot of stuff. There was a lot of, what we saw some pork fish, butterfly fish. Um, those uh, Sailor's Choice. Sa yeah, a lot of Sailor's lot of Choice. Um, urchins. Some stone crabs. Yeah, tons of urchins. Um, um, we saw that cowfish. Oh, yeah. The, the scrawled cowfish. cowfish. That was cool. Um, we saw one sergeant major. Yeah, yeah, just one. Um, sheep's head. Yeah, we saw a few sheep's head. So it was, it was pretty cool. I mean, the good thing was it it didn't cost us a lot of money because we basically just had to rent tanks. So it was like about ten bucks. We rented tanks from a, a dive shop down there, and uh, ten bucks went out and did did a single dive. It was a workout getting out there and back because we were coming back. Tide was going out, but. Uh, my legs hurt for a couple of days afterwards, so yeah. good workout. <laughs> but if but if anybody out there, if you're in the the Anna Maria area, definitely check the visibility before you go to do it, because I know later in the week after we we had left, um, they said that because they were her family still there, they said the visibility was like terrible. So uh, it it could change, like six to eight foot is pretty good. Sometimes they get ten foot visibility, maybe fifteen if they're really really lucky and but it could also be like a foot. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> kind of cool. What, so what are, what are some of your favorite dive destinations? 
the ones that I've done that I've liked the most have been Roatan and mostly shore dives there. They've got one area and it's just dive shops on the beach and you get in and they'll take you out almost by like a water taxi, drop you off. And then when you're done, you can shoot up one of those come get me flags and they come <laughs> over and pick you up or you can swim in if you really want to do that hundred yard swim. Um, I have been able to go down to Curacao on occasion and we'll be heading back there in February. Um, and then I did one wreck dive off the coast of Croatia a couple of years ago. And That's interesting. It, it was really interesting and it was a full ship that ran ashore and then backed out and sank whole. And you could actually do a full pen uh, into the cargo hold area and nice. into the wheelhouse. And it was, it was really interesting. It was, uh, it was off the coast of um, Crick. KRK is the name of the island it was off of. And it was a salt barge of some mm -hmm. sort. So if uh, there's a lot of photos of it on the internet and so forth, but those are, those are some of the, the more interesting places couple of different aquariums, such as the Florida Aquarium, which is a great dive. Uh, the old Living Seas at Disney World back in the day when that was an option. That was another great aquarium dive. And then I was on the dive team at Mystic Aquarium when I lived up in New England. And so working in those tanks was always fun as well. Very cool. Yeah, we've got a lot of Mystic people that have been there that are at Florida Aquarium. Yeah. Now. So I've, I haven't been there, but I've heard lots of good things about Mystic. So very, very cool. And your dad's a diver too, right? Yeah, he was the one who introduced me to it many, many years ago, and he's been fortunate to dive a lot around the world too, mostly shipwrecks. Uh, he did dive the, the the Atosha back in the Mel Fisher days and a couple other ones, and he was recently working on one up in Rhode Island that was Captain Cook's ship that discovered Australia and was cool. scuttled ashore in Newport, and I think we got to talk about that a little bit when we were visiting with you guys. And so they're, they're trying to uncover that one, the Rhode Island Marine Archaeology Program. Have you, have you dove up on the North, in the Northeast at all? So that's where I was certified. So when you're talking six or seven feet of visibility, <laughs> right. I was like, that's really good. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was certified in the 90s, and I was working second and third shift. So I had every day to go diving and was friends with the guys at the dive shop. And we'd dive four or five days a week, different areas of Rhode Island. And it was great, and you get a lot of dive time in, and then that really made me appreciate when I would go to the Caribbean and start <laughs> diving down there, <laughs> just how good the diving is around the world. But there's a lot of good stuff in New England to see diving. Um, not so much the, the aquatic life, but with shipwrecks and rock formations and so forth. You got to wear a pretty thick wetsuit or dry suit, or what do you have to do up there? So in the summertime, I'd wear usually like a three or a five mil, depends on okay. how warm it was. And then in the spring and the fall, I'd do a seven mil two piece. So Farmer and, John's. Yeah. And then with the hood and jazz, yeah. gloves on and so forth. And if you, if you start diving into like October, November, you really needed that. Yeah. I, I did my advanced open water in um, uh, Table Rock Lake in, in Missouri in October many years ago. And the water temperature was 50 degrees and, that's how it was for us, you know, full, full farmer, John, double wetsuit, gloves, hood, and uh, it, it works. I mean, but when you initially get in the water for people out there that have never worn a wetsuit, the way it works is the water goes into the wetsuit. That's why it's a wetsuit, dry suit, no water gets in. And then your body temperature heats that water up and it's insulated by the neoprene of the wetsuit. But it's still got to get in there initially. And when it goes down your back, it's 50 degree water going down your back. So 
it doesn't feel good for a few minutes, but then then it warms up and then you're fine. So, <laughs> but uh, if you've ever seen uh, a, the Christmas story, I think it's called a Christmas story with the with a kid wears the winter coat and he falls over and he can't get up. That's what it feels like in the in those thick wetsuits. I think. So. <laughs> I'm glad I've never had to dive in something like that. Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't. It wouldn't hurt my feelings if I never had to do that again. If I could just stick with warm water, I'd be okay with that. But you never know. There's some cool stuff. I'd like to definitely see like the kelp forests and like uh, the west coast and stuff and see it like a giant pacific octopus or something like yeah, that i would cool. get uncomfortable for that you know maybe i know people snorkel in alaska i don't they probably dive in alaska too i'm sure yeah. you know that would be uh there's some things that could make me get uncomfortable like that you know that could drive me to get uncomfortable i'd be willing to do it for very specific things yeah. table rock lake's not going to get me i like the caribbean <laughs> or the springs whatever <laughs> Yeah, I had explored the Alaska one, and uh, it looked interesting. I really wanted to do it, just didn't fit into our cards on that last trip. But the next one, I think I'm really going to make sure we do do it. Were you going to dive it or snorkel it? They actually had, they had a dive option and a snorkel option. Oh, cool. I'm not sure to the extent of what the diving was or what the snorkel differences were. I just read the two different ones, and it, it didn't fit in. But they did have a dive option there. <laughs> Okay, there's there's one more reason for me to cruise to Alaska, so I can say I dove in Alaska. We we have a touch pool. Uh, you probably, I'm sure you saw it. That's got like invertebrates from the West Coast, and so it's like sea anemones and sea stars and sea urchins, and uh, they're the ones that are over there because the cold water. They're big and they're just really brightly colored and beautiful, and that's that's the kind of thing you can see in Alaska, which is really cool. That would be cool. Yeah. So very cool. Well, listen, Brian, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's good talking to you again. And uh, I'm sure we'll be talking, talking again a lot more. Right, Matt, Kimber, thank you very much for having me. It was good to be here. I appreciate it. Thank you. That was really great talking to Brian. Yeah, just go ahead and say it. What? Say what? Say what you always say after we talk to somebody in, on this podcast. He was so nice. <laughs> Except I already knew that from before. Right. But... I still believe it. Yeah, he, he's a really nice guy. He's a great guy. And uh, one of the perks of doing the podcast is meeting great people. And, um, yeah, some of them you really get to know. And, and Brian's one of those people. So uh, it's a great conversation. Yeah. So, actually, after we finished the interview with him, we continued talking to him. And he has convinced us. <laughs> to try out this travel agent thing. Yes. Well, he he actually kind of presented that to us a, several months ago. He did, yeah. Casually, he, and we just kind of let it go because of everything, you know, that's going on. But uh, after after doing this episode and, and then staying on and just talking to him for, for a while, yeah, he, um, he basically convinced us that uh, we should try it, and we are pretty excited about it. So we're not set up quite yet, but we're close. If you are looking to book a cruise or even some land vacations and, uh, you know, we could be your people. Yeah, we're still I'm still going through some training and and learning the system and stuff, but seems pretty straightforward. So, I mean, look, here's the thing. Okay, here's here's the reason I'm going to pitch it right now, even though we haven't even started officially yet. I'm going to pitch it to you right now why you should book travel with us if you want to book travel with the travel agent there's a lot of great ones out there um kimbra is 
and I are new to this, but Kimbra does reservations at the aquarium. This is very similar to what she does. So she's already got, I mean, she's been, how long have you been at the aquarium? Five years? Five years. So yeah, so this is a very easy transition for her. We've got our cruise experience. So if you're interested, it's also a great way to support the podcast. So more information to come on that soon. Hey, we asked Brian, hey, what should the cruise creature be for this week? And you know what he said? I couldn't come up with something funny to say. (laughs) You know what he said? He said sea otters. He did because, uh, well, actually, I think his wife said sea otters. Oh. I I sent him a message today and he said, they're at Dollywood, I believe. Yeah. Having fun at Dollywood at the time of recording. And and he's like, the wife says sea otters because they were up in Alaska on the cruise, and he uh, said they had a good time. They saw sea otters. So sea otters is the creature of the day. It's the creature we're going to feature. Tell me about them. Tell you about sea otters. Well, what do you know? This is a, this is the new formula. I think I should do this. Tell me what you know about sea otters, and then I'll I'll add to the knowledge. Um, I know that they have really thick, fluffy fur to keep them warm. They do. Yes. And they hold hands with their little partners. <laughs> okay. And they lay on their backs Yes. to break open the shell things of the food that they eat or something. Yes. And they're cute. That is true. They are often compared to teddy bears of the sea. They, they are otters in the family Mustelidae, which is the same group that includes things like ermines, weasels, skunks, stuff like that. Uh, there are other otters. I think there are 13 species of otters. That's not counting subspecies. And of sea otters, there are three subspecies. One species of sea otter, but it's broken up into three subspecies. And uh, some of them live in California. Some of them live in Alaska. And then the other ones live somewhere else. And th- here, here's the thing, though. The sea otters we have in California, Alaska... They're a little bit smaller than the sea otters in the other place where I can't remember. <laughs> I should probably look that up. <laughs> but anyway, that's what we're focused on. They're, they're, um, these are the southern sea otters are the ones we're focused on, which are really the California ones. But they're very similar, if not the same thing, as the Alaska ones, which they may have seen both of those on that cruise. And they top out at about four feet. Uh, females will usually go up to about 50 pounds. And the males may go up to 70 pounds. So that's that's a big otter. But the the, um, the other sea otter species, the northern sea otters, those guys will get up to 100 pounds. Wow. Yeah, but it's the females that get bigger with them, apparently. So that's interesting. Huh. Yeah. But I don't know. How, how much does Reno weigh? Reno weighs 26 pounds. So, yeah. So these things are bigger than Reno. Okay. I mean, Reno's a little guy. Yeah, but he's still, he's a dog. I mean, he's a miniature schnauzer. He's not tiny. He's not a cat. He's not cat-sized. I mean, I mean I've seen cats that weigh the same as Reno. <laughs> he's, yeah, but the, so they're big. They're big. Now, um, you mentioned their fur. They do not have, they don't have any uh, blubber. 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 The whales have the blubber. Galoshes. Blubber. If anybody got that. Please let me know, fantasticcruising at gmail.com. Anyway, um, they don't have the blubber. So what do they do to keep warm? They got that coat that you mentioned, that warm coat. And here's a crazy statistic for you. In one square inch of sea otter fur, 
you can find about a million hair follicles. That is a lot. It's thick, right? Keeps them warm. That's about 10 times as many hair follicles as the average human has on their head. Or about 100 times more than I have on my head. <laughs> but yeah, that's a, that's, a lot of, uh, that's a lot of hair. And it, that thick hair is what gives them insulation, insulation and keeps them warm. It also makes them super soft. How do I know this? Because I, I have not petted a live sea otter, but I have felt their pelt. Felt the pelt. And um, pelt felter. That sounds dirty. Yeah, it does. Uh, you said it. I know. I know. Look, the uh, the river otters that we have in Florida, we don't have any sea otters in Florida. Sometimes people come to me and they're like, I saw sea otters. And I'm like, where? And they're like, oh, over in Tampa. I'm like, no, you didn't. <laughs> no, you didn't. You saw river otters, not sea otters, because river otters are a lot smaller. They don't have as thick a fur, so their fur is not as soft. That's all I'm saying. But they're still cute. They are adorable, yes. Now, that soft fur actually was a problem for the sea otter because they have a pretty good disposition and they're slow moving and they have really soft fur and so they were hunted to near extinction for their coats, which is sad. But that stopped in the early 1900s. Sea otters were protected and uh, humans have made a good effort to try and bring their numbers back, which overall they are considered a conservation success story. So that's pretty good. I remember in elementary school, my class did like a sea otter fundraiser thing. Um, I don't remember much about it, but we like raised money for sea otters. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Now sea otters are important for a lot of reasons. One, they are adorable. Two, um, they're adorable. And three, they are what we call a keystone species. Do you know what a keystone species is? I've heard of it be- before, but I can't tell you. If you're from St. Louis like me, you're, you're very familiar with arches. So an arch, when it's built, there's a, there's a piece that goes in the middle top of that arch, which is called the keystone. And it's called the keystone because it's often the last piece that's put in. So they, they have to build stuff to, to get the sides to go up like scaffolding or something. I don't know. I'm not an engineer guy, but, and then, and then they put this keystone piece in, then they can get rid of the scaffolding and it's a, you know, the, the pressure from the two sides holds it together, keeps the arch up. So it's a keystone. Now, if you take that keystone out, guess what happens? They fall in together. That's right. The arch falls down. So when we talk about a keystone species, we're talking about, Usually an animal, it could be a plant though, that is so important, so key to the survival of that whole ecosystem that if it were removed, it might collapse. So a good example of this is the American alligator, one of my favorites, but we're not talking about them today. I know I got to get them in there whenever I can. But sea otters are also a keystone species and they're a keystone species because of their diet. Now you mentioned that they like to lay on their backs and they put their food on their tummies And then they crack it open. Yes. And that is very unique to sea otters because they're basically, they're picking things up and they're bashing things open. That's tool use for for these marine mammals. Which, by the way, sea otters are uh, amongst the largest of the otters, but they are amongst the smallest of the marine mammals. So, you know, everything's relative, people. And uh, in in this case, their closest relatives are smaller. But... Sea otters are the only marine mammals, uh, well, the only 
let me backtrack on that. One of the only marine mammals uh, that use that have been recorded to use tools. So that's awesome. That shows intelligence and um, innovation. Well, they're basically people. Almost, almost, except for they'll bite your face off if you get too close to them. And they're a lot cuter. They are a lot cuter than most people, except for you, of course. Aww. But I know, right? But here's what they're eating. Do you know what they eat? Do you know what sea otters eat? Mm, no, I've heard it before, but I'm not going to say anything because I'll probably say the wrong thing. I mean, you know, it's okay. Creatures. They eat creatures. They eat, they eat a lot of uh, things like crustaceans, but... So that's like crabs and things like that. But they also eat a lot of sea urchins. And that's the big one. That's why they're a keystone species, because they live in an ecosystem that is very unique called a kelp forest. And kelp is a type of algae that grows like feet in a day. And it's a beautiful ecosystem. I think I mentioned it in the interview, actually, uh, talking about wanting to dive in the kelp forest. Yeah. So the problem is when sea otters are gone... They're one of the main predators of sea urchins. And you go, well, why does that matter? Well, because sea urchins, if they don't have a predator to keep them in check, their population explodes and they eat the kelp. And there are some crabs that they eat that eat some eelgrass. So basically, if you get rid of the sea otters or minimize their population, then the sea urchins get out of balance. They start eating the kelp. The kelp goes away. When the kelp goes away, that's like trees in a forest. So that's huge. So that, that means that all these other animals are going to start to disappear as well. And that actually happened when the sea otters were gone. A lot of those kelp environments were diminished. And when the sea otter population started coming back, it decreased the urchin population. But not only did the sea otters come back, but other animals came back as well. That's why it's important that we protect whole ecosystems and not just individual animals, but sometimes those keystone animals may be more important to that ecosystem than maybe another species. Everything has its role though. Everything has its niche. Now, sea otters aren't out of the water yet. I would say out of the woods. They're not out of the kelp forest yet because there are some new problems they're facing. Some of their populations are, are not growing. So they, they were growing, they stopped growing. And the reason they've stopped growing is because things are eating them. Things that, well, actually, I shouldn't even say that. Some things are eating them, some things are just killing them. And um, they're things that didn't historically do that. So the two big problems sea otters are having, or two of the big problems sea otters are having, are great white sharks in California and orcas in uh, further north. And here's, here's what's going on, we, we think. Okay, for the orcas, um, they, are, they are losing their food source, which is going to be different types of, of sea lions and things, seals. And so their food source is disappearing. They're looking for an alternative food source. Well, there's the sea otters. Now you go, well, Matt, why didn't they historically eat sea otters? Sea otters were there. Yes, but remember, sea otters don't have any blubber. They're just skin and bones and fur, so they're not a super good bang for the buck. And when you're an animal in the wild, you're trying to get the biggest bang for the buck. It's all about energy and getting that energy without expending too much energy. That's how it works. So it's just not worth it. But th when the desperate times call for desperate measures, you know, I remember the days when I ate ramen noodles all the time. So <laughs> it's, it's kind of, the, that's kind of the situation. Now with the great white sharks, 
it's it's even different than that because what scientists are finding is that great white sharks don't eat sea otters, but they do bite them. So what usually happens is the male otters and sometimes the younger otters, they get a little bold. They start to spread out from their, you know, really dense kelp forest areas, which is what we want because we want them to spread out to, to increase the population. They need more to go back into more spaces. And then that's where the these sharks are coming in and uh, they're they're going, oh, what's what's that? And they're looking for a good fatty meal. A lot of times it's younger white sharks that are less experienced with identifying food sources and a shark can't go up and like, you know, like I go to the grocery store, I'm looking at maybe hamburger or something. So I'm, I'm picking up the packages. I'm looking at it. I'm comparing the prices. Sharks can't do that. They just, they can only, they only do one thing. They can just bite to investigate. So they're biting a sea otter and then they're like, Puh, this is disgusting. And they swim away. But when you are a 50, 60 pound sea otter and a great white shark bites you, it doesn't matter if he eats you because the damage is done. So what they found is since like the early 2000s, the number of sea otters that are, that are washing ashore with great white shark bites has increased um, by a lot. It went from like, I don't, I don't remember the numbers now. I was looking it up earlier. It went from like maybe 9, 10% up to like 60% in some places, 40, 50%. It's a pretty big increase, like one or two times or more what it used to be. So this is a problem. And you go, well, why, why is this all of a sudden a problem? Well, it's all of a sudden a problem because great white sharks also need protection as well as the food that they eat. And so with this conservation success comes some other issues because you don't have the same historic ranges and stuff. So it's, it's interesting how it all works. You know, everything's fine tuned and, and nature has to balance its way out. So we've got to protect our white sharks, but we also have to protect are sea otters. So that's interesting, right? Those poor little otters. I know, right? Here's the thing. Otters tend to get bitten by white sharks during the same times of year as humans do. So it's definitely, or well, I shouldn't say definitely in science, it is most likely a case of mistaken identity by sharks that are very desperate coming off of their long migrations because we know that great white sharks migrate from feeding grounds to different areas and they're desperate for a uh, food source and so you know they they're willing to they're willing to eat anything that looks close to what they would normally eat kind of like if I'm really hungry and I go to the refrigerator in the middle of the night you know my my normal pickiness may go away a little bit because I'm just desperate and just like I just want to eat something. And then I and then I usually bite it and I'm like, this is gross. This is why it's been in the refrigerator for so long. That's why we have cookies on the counter. That's that's true right now, but that's not a good anyway. That's the sea otter, and that is our cruise creature for this week. So thank you again to Brian for the interview and for suggesting the wonderful, beautiful, adorable sea otter. That was a really fun episode. It was. Yeah. But it is over. Yes. So it's time to head for the horizon. We got to work on that. Maybe we'll just book another cruise on the horizon. That's a good idea. (laughs) All right. Anyway, go ahead. And until next time, seize the day. Have a fantastic week, everybody.
All right, we're back for our after the music segment yes. that five people listen to, and we appreciate that. Very I much. think more than five people. You think listen. so? I don't know. We, I think we've more asked people... people to send us the emails. We haven't gotten that many for this. So if you, well, we'll we try ask it people again. to send us emails like that's true. twelve million times throughout <laughs> the episode, true. and there's like a select few that do it constantly. Here's what I hope: I hope that people that don't listen are not listening because they just don't know it's a thing, and not because they're like. They just don't care. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Anyway, uh, we're actually recording this on July 4th. Happy 4th of July to everybody. Um, and uh, that means fireworks are about to start up soon, which means that Reno is about to have his worst night of the year. Basically. It's been, we've been building up to it all week. Every night there's been a couple here and there, but tonight's the night. We're going to have to curl up on the couch, find something good to watch. Jaws. And comfort the dog. I think we should watch Jaws 2 and 3. Maybe 4 if we're really crazy. Both of them? All those tonight? What? It's late. It's not even 8 o'clock. Yeah, but like each movie's like two hours. Okay, so 9, 10, 11, 12. Midnight? You can't stay up till midnight on the 4th of July? We're off tomorrow. Okay. (laughs) You have to give me like some ramen cookies and I'll be good to go. Did you say rum and cookies? I did. Actually, we've got that that chocolate malt drink stuff that we can mix Kahlua with. That sounds good with cookies. All right. Knock yourself out. 